the theme verse that we have been talking about and uh, wrestling through over the course of the last nine months uh, is for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another we've been seeking to learn this year really just one thing and that is that the church is family that the church is the purchased possession of Jesus Christ and we are mutually dependent upon one another that's really what this verse is all about and we've looked at that we've really thrashed that out on many occasions and the Bible is very clear about instructions for the local church and we've looked at many of them in fact a quick summary our first mini series this year was called the body concept and we looked at first Corinthians 12 And in that study, we looked at how important unity in diversity really is. How every single member has an essential role. What it means to be mutually dependent upon one another. And that God sovereignly selected every one of us here in this local assembly, selected us with all of our strengths and our weaknesses to be a vital part of the whole. The weaker parts, the stronger parts come together as the body. That was the body concept mini-series. And then we went to God's design for giving in the local church. And you'll recall, perhaps, we spent two Sundays looking at what God says giving in the local church is all about. And we didn't just talk about finances. We talked about giving in every sense, giving of ourselves. And that series so impacted my life in my own study that I suggested to us and you agreed to it that we would change our whole church budget to follow along with the biblical pattern and criteria of giving. And I have seen God bless that already. Uh, And we'll talk about that some more at another time. And then recently we finished a three-part series on church leadership. We looked at the preeminent leader of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at pastoral leadership and all that was involved in that role. And then lastly, we looked at practical leadership seen in the role of deacons and deaconesses. Today, we move into a new mini-series which deals with the spiritual gifts. It's an exciting study and I know some of you have been uh, chomping at the bit to get into it. I can see Judy and Peter already smiling and looking at one another. We've been wanting to do this for a while and the Lord's prohibited through various different circumstances. But we're just going to make a start. And let me, make, let me say this as well as we begin this morning. This is really barely even a start. Okay? It's just the very, very beginning. If there's a number before one, that's what this is. Okay? We're just going to start uh, looking at that. It'll be introductory in nature. And then in a few weeks' time, we'll continue in far more depth. So this morning, I want to preach a message entitled Spiritual Gifts Part one of I don't know how many would be the rest of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can meet together at this time. Thank you, Lord, for each person who you have uh, actively called to be with us this morning. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that they have been willing to get up and get their family organized, uh, themselves organized to be able to be here together. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray for those who are absent from us at this time due to health or being away. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray you'd continue to uh, strengthen them and bring them to full recovery. And Lord, for us here today at this time, this appointed hour to look at your word, we pray for great wisdom, pray for strength as I would seek to preach that which you have uh, shown me in private in the study uh, over many hours. I pray it would be a blessing and encouragement uh, and that it would uh, be a good introduction for where we're headed uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, We thank you for this time we can have together and trust it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you, if you would, to find in your Bible the book of Acts, chapter 2. Book of Acts, chapter 2. You may already be very familiar with this portion of Scripture. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 2. And if you're taking notes, the very first point that we're going to look at and we only have two this morning but the first point we're going to look at is understanding the new dispensation 
understanding the new dispensation. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment, but let's look at Acts chapter 2. Follow along as I read, if you would, please. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these... Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a remarkable account. Um, I don't think that we can appreciate the enormity of this day in our day and age. Um, this was an incredible day. On this particular day in which we have just read, probably 10 days after the Lord Jesus had ascended, somewhere about 9 a.m., everything changed. I mean, everything changed. The disciples there in that upper room who'd met together would never again be the same. Never again. Every believer from that moment on until the end of the age would be blessed beyond measure by the presence of the Holy Spirit within. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, if you're still in that passage, the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Every person who was a disciple at that time the Holy Spirit fell upon them and began to indwell them and empowered them in that instant. And from that time until their death, they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible occasion. I really want us to get a handle on this this morning because this is foundational to us. If you, need to, if you can understand that you have uh, perhaps grown up in a Jewish household, you have witnessed the Messiah like these disciples did, you have been changed by his life and his teaching and his ministry, and you've been told right throughout your ministry as a disciple for those three and a half years that soon a new person is coming to live within and he's going to change everything. The Lord Jesus had prophesied about this comforter and this Holy Spirit numerous times. And now the Lord Jesus has ascended. The disciples, you remember in Acts chapter 1, are looking up to heaven when he had gone up. And an angel comes to them and says, why are you looking up? The one who just went up is coming down in due course. Go back into the city and obey him. And we read that uh, in Acts chapter 1, if you look just one page back, Verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The final words of the Lord Jesus, almost literally, a couple more sentences are said, is, Go back into the city in a few days' time, Something incredible is going to happen. You were baptized with water by John, but soon you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus had said in Luke 24 verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Before we can understand anything about these spiritual gifts, I believe we have to have at least some foundational truths about the Holy Spirit. And this is a highly debated subject, a majorly controversial topic in Christianity today. And I'd like to try and clear some of those things up over the course of our study over the next few weeks. In order to help us with this, I'm going to quickly summarize, if it's possible to summarize, the person of the Holy Spirit in just a few minutes. What does he do? Who is he? What is his work within the believer? This to me is an exciting study because when you come to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing within each of us as a believer, we are brought to a place of uh, magnanimous gratitude for all that he is. We are so blessed 
I believe with all of my heart, outside of the gift of salvation, the greatest gift that you and I have is the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within. That is an incredible gift. God came to make his abode within. And so for a few moments, let me suggest a few points considering the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. These are by no means exhaustive. But I believe they will help us understand his role in our life. We might call these the blessings associated with the new dispensation. By the way, before I give these to you, when I say new dispensation, I mean a new epoch of time, a new category of time, whereby in the past God dealt with people a certain way. When we come to Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit is, is given as he was promised and the church begins, everything changes. This is a new time in history. You can draw a line in the historical timeline and say, here is a new time and a new way that God deals with his people. The time of grace, we might call it, the dispensation of the church the church age so the work of the holy spirit in the life of the believer and you'll know as i begin we do not have time to look at each of these um, in any depth i'm going to tell you the point i'm going to read you a verse and we're going to move to the next one that's what we're going to try and do number one the work of the holy spirit in the life of the believer the holy spirit regenerates us regenerates us Birth, that's what that speaks of, being born again. Titus 3, 4-5 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How did you get saved? You got saved through a Trinitarian view. What I mean by that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all actively involved in your salvation. In that verse, we're told that it's the Holy Spirit who regenerates, brings us to life, quickens us, makes us alive. Critical. We cannot do it ourselves. Number two, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. The Lord Jesus said in John 16 and verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. You say, I need direction in my life. I need to know what God's will is. It is the Spirit of God who, uh, who directs us into truth. And he does that through the word of truth. Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Number three. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Sanctifies us. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. Sanctification is that time frame from when we first became a Christian until we are one day glorified. It's that time of making us like Christ, making us holy. The reality of the fact is that the only one who can do that is the Spirit of God. He is the one who is making us like Christ. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Number four, the Holy Spirit empowers us. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the chapter just before we read, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When we say we do not have power, we say that we do not have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. The question is, are we walking in the Spirit, thereby having the power we need to live out as we ought to? The Holy Spirit empowers us. Number five, the Holy Spirit confirms that we are the children of God. 
Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know whose job it is to assure us of our salvation? It's not the pastor's. It's not your spouse. It's not your friend. It is the Holy Spirit. I'm always very careful when someone comes to me and says, Hey, listen, I really need assurance for my salvation. Now, there's a real thing where you can get doubt. I understand that. But at the end of the day, nothing I say should assure you. It ought to be the Holy Spirit within you who confirms that you are a child of God. That's what the Bible says. It's not my responsibility to confirm that calling. It's yours between you and the Lord as the Holy Spirit proves that reality. He is the one who confirms you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit confirms that we are the children of God. Number six, the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption. Under the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Not to be broken. This seal is a fixed seal. This is the security of the believer here. You say, I don't know if my salvation is secure. Your salvation is as secure as the Holy Spirit exists. That's how secure your salvation is. You cannot lose your salvation. The genuine article of faith cannot be lost because it was not bought by you, nor was it sealed by you. It was bought by the precious blood of Christ. You were called of God and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We cannot, under any circumstances, lose our salvation. Number seven, the Holy Spirit guarantees our future resurrection and glorification. Holy Spirit guarantees our future resurrection and glorification. Second Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I love this verse. When you purchase a house, you, are, you need a deposit. You need to make a payment in order to say, I want to own this place. Here is the deposit of my trust. When you placed your faith and trust in Christ, the deposit or the guarantee of your salvation was the Holy Spirit given to you. God so-called paid the deposit of the Holy Spirit into your heart, into your life as proof that he would bring it to fulfillment. So here's the question. Does God pay what he promises? Most certainly he does. And his deposit was the Holy Spirit given to us to say, one day you will be glorified. The future is as certain as the present Holy Spirit within us. That's what that verse teaches us. Number eight, the Holy Spirit reveals the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. If you will study the word, it is the Holy Spirit who will produce and illuminate your eyes to the depths of theology. How is it that some people have such a depth into the word and into the character of God that others don't? It's because there has been a focus on that. And the Holy Spirit has revealed that truth to them through the pages of scripture. And that is available to every one of us. The Holy Spirit is available to teach us the deep things of God. I, want to, I don't want to be in the shallows. I want the deep things of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Number nine, the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's the idea. As I will focus my attention on the person of Jesus Christ, the Spirit changes me to be more and more like Him. 
The purpose of your Christianity is to be like Christ. The ultimate goal is to be Christ-like. And that occurs by means of the Spirit of God. Number 10. The Holy Spirit enables us to wait patiently for the future glory. In Galatians 5 and verse 5, an interesting verse that I hadn't seen in this light before. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I don't know about you, but there is a tendency in me to get impatient. There's a tendency in me to say, Lord, come now. I've had enough of this. It's too hard. Whether uh, you're wrestling with physical things like I am at the moment and you feel exhausted, you say, I'm just, I just want to go to heaven. I'm ready to go. Just take me now, Lord. And some of you understand that reality. And there's a joy in that reality. But we can also become discontent. We can also become impatient. It's the spirit who enables us to patiently wait for the coming righteousness or our glorification. Now, you thought it was a list of 10, didn't you? You were wrong. Number 11. The Holy Spirit strengthens our spirit. Ephesians 3.16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I am experiencing this reality at this very moment. My outer being is worn out. I am exhausted. I am standing by the grace of God this morning. It is the Spirit of God who is supplying what is necessary in my inner man, in my mind at this moment, to be able to preach this morning. Um, you, you understand this. This happens to us all the time. Sometimes our outer man is just its worn out or it's diseased or it's sick and we feel like we can't go on. And yet somewhere within us comes a strength that we say, hey, that was not mine. I could not have done that. That is the strength of the Spirit of God at work within the child of God. Number 12. The Holy Spirit produces and develops fruit in the life of the believer. We know, I'm sure, the passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the subject for our Sunday school class next door. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. The Holy Spirit produces that fruit and he is developing that fruit. All of them, all nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are being developed in us all the time. That we would love better, that we would have more joy, that we would understand peace and so on. If you don't know anything about that, have a, sit in a Sunday school lesson for the next few weeks. They're learning all about the fruit of the Spirit. Number 13. The Holy Spirit pours love into our hearts. Romans 5 verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we walk in the Spirit, the Christian can have no enemy. They can have no enemy. They can hate nobody because the love of God has been poured into that individual. They have a love that does not come from themselves. They have a love that comes directly from God. And that love changes everything. A love that's poured into our hearts. Number 14, we continue. Told you this was a quick summary of a huge topic. Number 14, the Holy Spirit teaches us. 1 Corinthians 2.13 And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Have you ever wondered, have you ever seen that look on someone's face when you share the gospel with them and it's like, Nothing's going on. Nothing at all. They look at you with that blank look or they smile and say, thank you very much. You've poured out your heart with the gospel. You've shared the gospel with all of your might in the power of the spirit. And that person looks at you and goes, well, that was lovely. Thank you. 
And you think, what is wrong with you? You feel like shaking that person and saying, come on. Can't you see what God has done for you? And you can, you can emotionally manipulate people. You can do all kinds of stuff. But unless the Spirit of God quickens and opens the eyes and the heart of that person, they cannot see that truth. I can thump on the pulpit all day long in this building and an unsaved person will not understand those spiritual truths unless it is the Spirit who draws them and opens their hearts to this truth. And so don't be surprised, Christian, when you're sharing your faith or when you're sharing truth from the Scripture and people look at you and go, what? It's classic today. I'm not really... Uh, I'm not really concerned with uh, debating the issues of homosexuality and all these other things much. I'm happy to share what I think, but I don't go around spending a lot of time doing it. You can't understand the truth of God. Of course you're not going to see that. It's a little bit like, if I can just share uh, something that happened during this week, it's a little bit like when you hear someone uh, take the name of Christ in vain. Happens all the time, right? We see it all the time. And sometimes I hear Christians say things like, oh, you know, do you know him? You must, be, you must know him because you're using that word so often, things like that. And it sort of it creates a little bit of a, a difficult situation sometimes. Or, you know, we say, uh, would you like to know more about him, the one whose name you keep using? At the end of the day, you know what I've come to realize? They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea who this person is. And it doesn't actually matter how much I tell them. They still have no idea. Now, we can uh, help them get a little bit of a, uh, an understanding of etiquette. But at the end of the day, the problem is a problem in the heart, not a problem of the lips. So when we come to the Holy Spirit being the one who teaches us and teaches those who are spiritual, we have to remember that we are dealing with spiritual truths, not physical truths. When the Lord Jesus used parables, the simplest of things that people didn't understand, let alone when he taught the deep things of God, spiritual things. And it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. Number 15, the Holy Spirit gives joy. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Something that I have learned over the last couple of weeks of my personal struggles in health have been that the times when I am not walking in the Spirit, I am sapped of my joy. See, it is very possible for us as Christians to have the fullness of joy in the fullness of adversity. We can have absolute joy, though the circumstances around us are adverse. How? Because we're walking in the Spirit. We're walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who provides joy. You know why the world doesn't have joy? Because the world doesn't have the Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives joy. Number 16, you'll be pleased to know 20 is the number, so we're almost there. Number 16, there were 50, by the way, I've I've brought it right back down. Okay, 16, the Holy Spirit brings truth to our remembrance. Holy Spirit brings truth to our remembrance. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I believe this is a promise that was given to the apostles, but I believe that it does relate to us today. When we face true persecution in this country, and as I've said many times, it's coming, and when we are called upon to either deny or affirm our belief in God, I believe that the Spirit will give to us the precise words we need at that time if we will walk in Him. How is it that those martyrs clinging to those stakes getting ready to enter into the stadium with the lions and the ravenous beasts who would tear them to pieces, were able to say some incredible things that came directly from the Scriptures. I believe with all of my heart that was the Spirit of God using their lips as a mouthpiece for God's glory in their final moments. And I believe that's true for us today too. He will bring truth to our remembrance. When you're sharing your faith and you, and you think, Father, I'm going to get stumped here. It's the Spirit of God who brings to you a verse. You don't even know where it came from. You, you can't even remember the reference. But you share that thought and the Lord puts to silence the mouths of those who oppose the truth. I've seen it many times. Number 17. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Acts 9.31. 
So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There is a comfort that only comes from God. We sang that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. There is a comfort that comes only from the Spirit of God. Like I said before, some great trial has befallen us, some great tragedy, something that is beyond our control, beyond our understanding. How is it that the Christian can find comfort in those circumstances? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit within. He is our comforter. The very word comforter, parakletos, has the idea of coming alongside of us, coming around us, enveloping us. That's what he does. Number 18. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever come to a place in your Christian life where you're at the end of yourself and you have no idea what to pray? You want to pray? You're eager to pray, but I don't know what to pray here. I have sometimes said, Lord, I have no idea what I should pray. I've no idea. And the Bible tells us it is at that moment that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us when we can't even pray with groanings too deep to be uttered. Beneath our understanding and above our understanding, he prays for us, interceding for us. Incredible truth that is invisible and unknown to us, and yet it happens. Amazing. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Number 19. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. John 16 and verse 14. The Lord Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The whole goal of the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to declare and conform us to Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. And number 20, again, which is not an exhaustive list, but these are the 20 I've got for us this morning. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to the believer. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to the believer. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. I'll read that for us in a moment. It's this final aspect that we're going to be looking at. It took 20 points to get there this morning, but this is the final aspect that we want to look at here, which is that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to the believer. So what I want to do as part of point number two here this morning is just introduce the subject and then we'll close. So secondly, this morning, I just want to give introductory comments about the spiritual gifts. Introductory comments about the spiritual gifts. What I want us to do as we uh, draw to a close, so I want to read four portions of Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me please to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are the four major passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And I hope you'll, uh, you'll find these passages uh, very, very helpful as we move forward into this new subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, this is Paul. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. I'm going to resist the temptation to make any comment. We're going to move to the next portion of scripture. Romans chapter 12. By the way, it's helpful to remember 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Okay, the 12s. Romans 12. Beginning in verse 3. Just a few verses here. Romans 12, verse 3. Again, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's another little list for us. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, if you'd find verse 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One final passage, Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. And find verse 7 if you would. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Those four passages of Scripture are what we are going to use to form our understanding of these spiritual gifts which have been given by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11, Romans 12, 3-8, 1 Peter 4, 10-11, Ephesians 4, 7-16. So in the last five minutes here this morning... Just a couple of comments before we close. First of all, defining spiritual gifts. Again, we're going to flesh this out a whole lot more. But let me just define spiritual gifts, if I may, for just a moment. Here's a simple definition. A spiritual gift is a spiritual ability given by God for the purpose of building up the church. That's what a spiritual gift is. Perhaps another definition, a longer one, would be this. A spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit 
to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace for use within the context of the body. So here's a fact for you to know. Every single Christian has been given at the moment of their conversion a spiritual gift. And this gift is spiritual. Sometimes when we have cliches like spiritual gifts, we forget what that means. It's a spiritual gift. It's not a necessarily a visible gift. It is a spiritual gift. It is something given by God for a purpose. And we'll define that some more over the next few weeks. Defining a spiritual gift. Secondly, I just want to identify the source of spiritual gifts. I think we know by now that the spiritual gift is from the Spirit, God. 1 Corinthians 12.11 tells us, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is a work of God. This is the grace of God. We have no right at any time to say things like, well, it's not fair that I didn't get dot, 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 dot. Or I wish I could do dot, dot, dot. It is God who empowers you to do what he's called you to do and he apportions it as he sees fit. We're going to learn later on that the Corinthians had a bit of a catastrophe occurring in their assembly. Everybody wanted to be this person. Everybody wanted to be this gift. And Paul makes it very clear that God had allotted to each of them the gift that he wanted them to have. We'll look at that some more. Defining spiritual gifts, identifying the source of spiritual gifts. Thirdly, examining the purpose of the spiritual gifts. There's two portions of scripture. We're not going to turn there, but let me just read them to you. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The purpose of the spiritual gift or gifts, plural, that has been given is nothing to do with you. It has absolutely nothing to do with myself. The spiritual gift is for the common good in the assembly that God has put you into. You are uh, given that gift for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve the body. So if we take it in the opposite way, your failure to do that prohibits and paralyzes the body as a whole. God designed it that way, that we would be mutually dependent upon one another, exercising our gifts towards one another, so that when we step out of that sphere, we are causing neglect and paralysis to the church. And that ought to bring us back to where we need to be. It's interesting how the Lord does that. In Ephesians 4, 7 to 12, I won't read the whole portion, but at the end there, he says that he gave these gifts for this purpose, for building up the body of Christ. Your gift, whatever it is, is for the common good to build up the body of Christ. That's encouraging because you know what that means when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Even the weaker, even the unseemly people in our midst, and the Bible talks about that and we've talked about that as well. The weaker ones, those who perhaps we, we're not so preferential towards. God has put them all together for this purpose that we would be built up and matured together, that we would grow together, that we would exercise ourselves for the common good and for his glory. Let me reiterate, your spiritual gift is not for you. And failure to operate with your gifts will bring disunity and paralysis to the body. And then lastly, just want to quickly mention, not all of them, but just a couple, of the misunderstandings relating to the spiritual gifts, and there are many. First thing I want to comment on before we finish here. Giftedness is not spirituality. The dispensing of the gifts is not on the basis of spirituality, but on God's sovereign choice. Here's what I've heard all of my life long. What a spiritual person. Look at all the gifts God has given that individual. 
That is faulty theology. God apportions whatever gifts, maybe manifold gifts to an individual, but that manifold gifts does not equate to spirituality. Just because they have many gifts does not mean that they are superior in any sense whatsoever. Now, it is fairly obvious when we get to different churches that quite often it is the Spirit who apportions to those in leadership perhaps with more gifts than others. And there's a reason for that. But just because there are more gifts in an individual does in no way denote spirituality. We must be very careful about that. Because someone can preach or because they can teach or they can exhort or they have mercy or or they do this or they do that does not in any way make them of superior spirituality. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is not the same as spiritual gifts. Please don't confuse these two. Every Christian has the full panorama of the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of us. Every Christian in here has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. Those nine attributes are all present in every one of us. But not all gifts are present in every one of us. In fact, none of us have all the gifts listed in the scripture. They're not the same thing. Thirdly, contrary to popular opinion, the spiritual gifts were not given so that we can be proud, but that we can depend. See, here's how this works, church. You have a gift, you have a gift, I have a gift, you have several gifts, I have several gifts, whatever they are. We have those gifts in order that we would be mutually dependent. That's why God didn't give you all the gifts and he didn't give me all the gifts because what I desperately need is someone to help me in this area. So he equipped one of you with that so that you would minister to me and that my gifts would minister to you so that together we would be built up. So don't think when you look at your life and begin to identify the gifts, wow, I'm so special, I've got seven gifts. The reality of it is your seven gifts make you dependent Because there are gifts you don't have. And you need those gifts to build yourself up as you grow as a Christian. Spiritual gifts were given to encourage dependence upon one another. I already mentioned this. Nobody has all the spiritual gifts. No one. And the last thing is there is no clear distinction. Excuse me. There is a clear distinction between spiritual gifts and natural talents. We'll talk about that later as well. It is all introductory. So concluding with this, church, as we embark on this journey into spiritual gifts, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to pray that the Lord would reveal the truth about this matter of spiritual gifts to you. The spirit we learned is our teacher. He leads us into all truth. Ask the spirit of God to lead you into truth in this area. Because they are given for two purposes, the growth of the body and the glory of God. Lord, thank you for this time we've spent in your word. Lord, thank you for uh, an opportunity to introduce this subject matter. And we have uh, a long road ahead of us as we look at uh, these uh, distinct gifts and how they operate and uh, many other things that will come up over the next little while. Thank you for uh, the ability to be able to share these thoughts this morning. Uh, And I pray that uh, we would go from this place encouraged by the work that the Spirit does in each of us and uh, looking forward to learning more about his specific work in us developing uh, the fruit and the gift that he has given to each of us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.